0: book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Ephesians 6, 19 to 20. I will end the reading with, this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond, thanks be to God. Verse 19, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Good morning, City Church. Good morning. It's a pleasure to see everyone this morning. Um, thank you, T.J., for the reading. Earlier, when the light went out, I had this flashback. I remember growing up. Um, I grew up in, in Loring Quest. Some of you may know where that is. Um, and in the 90s, like pretty much like everywhere, electricity was bad. Things were bad. And usually in the evenings, m- when we had midweek services, the generator will pack up and then Nepal will decide to strike at the same time. So, Nepal will pack up. So, we had, we had gas lamps, these tall gas lamps that we used to station around church. Some of you may remember that. And just now, it was feeling, it felt like a reenactment of Revelations 3, or Revelations 1, rather, where Jesus is walking through the candlesticks um, of the churches. So, thank God for electricity. Thank God. That we are able to um, gather together in comfort this morning. I say all that to say it's good to be here. It's nice to see everyone. Um, Let's pray. Lord, we just sang powerfully, oh God, that we need you to speak to us. Lord, if you don't speak to us, nothing can happen. Lord, we need a word from you. Oh God, we are dependent upon you this morning and we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't trust in the eloquence of any person. Lord, we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring your words to us with power, with conviction, with clarity, Oh God. And we ask, Lord, that you energize us this morning to be able to pray in Jesus' name. All right, so we've been doing a series on prayer. Um, I think this is about the fourth or fifth one now. Um, The fourth one, fifth one. Um, and we started by looking at, so we looked at spiritual growth from Colossians, we looked at harmony in Romans, and then started by leading us through Ephesians 1, um, looking at spiritual enlightenment, and last week, um, Francis showed us um, praying for power. And this is the third, this is the third um, sermon from Ephesians. I don't know if it was on purpose um, But when I started reading through, I just got this sense, you know, of I was just appreciating again the beauty of of Ephesians. There's a lot of force, this year is um, the 500th anniversary of of the Reformation. And the book of Romans played a very pivotal role in in catalyzing that. And so there's a lot of of, um, weight people attach to the book of Romans. Because it's like, if you think of Romans, it's kind of like a panorama of of this expansive landscape of salvation and all that God has done for us in Christ. I think that Ephesians is kind of like just a portrait. It's like when you're trying to condense all of that glory into just one one image, you know, and that's what Paul does in Ephesians. So you have someone like Matthew Lloyd-Jones who preaches for the life of me 232 sermons from the book of Ephesians over a span of eight years. I have good news for you this morning. We have no plans to preach 232 sermons um, from Ephesians, but I believe that this book has such rich truths for us. So Paul begins by, in chapter 1, telling us how God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He tells us that we have been chosen, we have been predestined before the creation of the world. And then he goes on to ask and pray about enlightenment and the knowledge of Christ so that we can know Christ better. And then he tells us, the great love God has for us, the rich mercy God has extended to us and how he has made us alive together in Christ. And then he comes to the latter end of chapter 4, 5, and 6 and he's unpacking the implications of all that God has done for us in Christ, in, in your work, in your relationship, in the family, husband to wife, and all of those things. And so we come to chapter 6, where we have been. Um, and today I'll be talking about boldly requesting Boldly Proclaiming, Praying for Gospel Preaching. It's a very long title, I know, but um, bear with me. And so please, I do not give, just, um, just to affirm that don't hear me this morning saying that gospel preaching and those who preach are the most important people in the church. I don't think so. The Bible doesn't say that. Um, and I'm sure that our leaders will be the first to affirm that because they stand here and they are preaching to us, They are not necessarily better than those of us who sit down. God has gifted us with varying gifts in the body of Christ so that we serve each other and complement and work together to achieve what God um, has in mind for his church. But I think that looking again at preaching will help us to appreciate how God chooses to bring revival, one of the means God walks through to bring revival to a place. So I'll be looking at this under, hint, hint, three headings. Um, One, a bold proclamation. Two, a present opposition. And three, a potent power. A bold proclamation, a present opposition, a potent power. So the first thing we see in verses 19 to 20 is that we see Paul say, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly Make known the mystery of the gospel. I like the way the ESV, ESV puts it as boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And so we see Paul saying what is to be proclaimed and then how he's also going to proclaim it. He wants to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, and, and the first thing we have to wrestle with is what exactly is the mystery of the gospel? Is Paul saying that there's this mysterious thing that you have to? kind of like with a a microscope you have to deduct and look at and examine what this mysterious thing is? I don't think so. Usually when the New Testament writers use the word mystery or mystery of the gospel, they are referring to something that was previously hidden but has now been revealed in Christ. So you have Paul use this same term. He uses it a lot in his epistles, but if you look at Colossians 1, 24 to 26, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to us. He says, "Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make known the word of God, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed to his saints." He does the same thing in Ephesians 3 verses 1 to 6, where he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, and has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And now he tells us what this mystery is, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Again, you can look at Romans 16, 25. So when Paul uses the term or, or the phrase, the mystery of the gospel, he's referring to the truth of the gospel that was previously unknown but has now been revealed in Christ. In other words, Paul is not trying to bring an esoteric, or he's not, he's not saying that what he's what he wants to preach about, what he wants to talk about is some esoteric thing that can only be known by a few people who have acquired a certain type of skill and knowledge and some revelation. He's saying that he just wants to bring the plain delivery of the goodness of what God has accomplished through the death, the, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ and its implications on us, both eternally and temporally in this present world. So that's what Paul means by the mystery of the gospel. But then he's also saying, I want, pray for me that words may be given to me. Right, so, is Paul saying he wants to be eloquent, you know, like, like, pray for me that words may be given to me so I can say it in the right senses, say it in the right way, or something. I don't think so. Because we know Again, Paul's Paul's outlook um, on preaching and and how ministry is, we see that in in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5, where he says, I did not come to you with eloquence, to you with with man's wisdom, but I came to you proclaiming the testimony of God. I resolved to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul says he wants words to be given to him, he's not seeing himself as the author of the words or the source of the words. He's saying these words have been revealed in the gospel. These words have been given to me by God. These words are a revelation of God himself. And so Paul's source or Paul's source of his message was not from himself. He wasn't wasn't trying to make these people see himself as, as some clever kind of dude who had something to give them. He was basically doing what we see other writers or other preachers in New Testament do. So take, for instance, Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He's right before the Sanhedrin. He's about to be stoned. And then he goes into this long speech, this long sermon, tracing the history of, of, of the Jewish people. But then he does it by expounding, among other things. He expounds Amos 5. He expounds Isaiah 66. Peter does the same thing on the day of Pentecost, where he's saying what God has accomplished, what God has done for them, and how Pentecost, what Pentecost means. And he does it by expounding Joel chapter 2, Psalm 16, and Psalm 110. But we see even Jesus Christ do this same thing. So when he resurrects and he's on the road to Emmaus, and, and he's walking with these two people, and they're saying, ah, don't you know what has happened in Jerusalem? Don't you know this news, don't you know what has happened and all that. And then he goes on to tell them, how foolish you are, that's Luke 24. Did not the Messiah suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then Luke says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So, Christian preaching, or what what Paul was aiming at, um, was to expose or expose the gospel, and the scriptures. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to be eloquent. He wasn't trying to, quote-unquote, meet them where they were. He was saying, this truth that God has revealed, this is what I want to talk about. This is, what, this is what I want these guys to get. Pray for me that these guys might get this truth. Pray for me that this truth I'm going to proclaim proclaiming will come out of what God has revealed of himself. And how has God revealed himself? God has revealed himself to us in this day and age through this book. And so you don't have to look too far around to see why we are where we are as a society, as a people, in terms of the things that have happened to us um, out of the church and and in the society. You have, think of all the popular sermon titles and all the conference titles you heard. I was seeing something online. is, a, is a, a flyer for a program. One was, my blood is not Maltina. <laughs> Another one, who is monitoring my life? Leave me and let me drive my car. <laughs> Another one, I smell America. <laughs> this, is, this is not a joke. I mean, these are actual programs. In fact, the, the person who compiled the list compiled like 29 of, of them, of all these funny titles, of sermons and messages. And I know this is true because I did my law school in Bios, and I remember seeing some of these kind of really scary type of, type of sermon titles and program titles. Or you may say, oh, that is crass, that is it's not, it's not, it doesn't have finesse. But then you think about things like 12 steps to a happy marriage. 12 steps to greater power, creating a culture of influence, five ways to grow your marriage. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that these things are not important. If I think because I was having this conversation um, yesterday with Pastor Femi and and because of the kind of society we are in, I think, yes, these are needs that the church might have to meet, um, financial empowerment, all those kind of things, how to manage money and all of that. I'm not saying those things are, are not important. But I'm saying those things are not Christian sermons. And that is not how God is going to grow his church. That is not how God is going to change society. That is not how anybody's life changes. So if we are going to see the kind of thing we are prophetically praying for and trusting God, trustingly declaring to say that we want to see a gospel-centered movement that catalyzes a, 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 a change in Lagos, that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. It has to be where people are proclaiming churches where the word of God is being proclaimed. By definition, by definition, Christian preaching is not like general merchandise or, or general contractor. You know, if you, if you look around, you go to Idumota and all these other popular places, you see XXX and sons general contractors. Oh God, what do you they sell anything where you want to buy. It. Anything. Cement, tire, just pack it all together. Anything. That is not Christian preaching. Christian preaching, by definition, is that you are a salesman of one product, Christ. Amen. And that is how God is going to bring the change that that he's, he, he wants to bring. But then we also see where Paul is talking about this this what he wants to proclaim, he's saying how he wants it to be proclaimed. Um, He says in verse 19 that he wants to proclaim it fearlessly. He wants to proclaim it boldly. And so there are all kinds of definitions. Um, The Puritans call preaching truth through personality. Lloyd-Jones talked about preaching as logic on fire. John Piper talks about preaching as expository exaltation. Whatever all those things mean. Uh, Very simply, preaching is proclaiming boldly. It is opening your mouth and saying what God has said in His Word. It is coming with the weights and the gravity that the scriptures have and dropping it on people like an atomic bomb. (laughs) A preacher is like a town crier. In the olden days, so in the olden days, you have this guy who used to go through town and you'll be, you'll be, He'll be hammering all those things. he saying saying, kereo, kereo. And then he's saying what the king says, this. And I like this. That's exactly the way John Piper describes it. Um, someone writing about John Piper says, he pictures a herald riding into town, shouting from high atop his horse. Hear ye, hear ye. The emperor has declared an amnesty to all slaves. That, Piper says, is preaching proclaiming good news, announcing something that has happened that completely changes the situation of the listeners. But then you might have, oh, so what's the difference between preaching and teaching? But then he imagines people approaching the Herald with questions. What does amnesty mean? When does this announcement take effect? Does that mean I can leave my slave master now? Will compensation be paid to masters and so on? At that point, Piper says, you have to start teaching explaining the implications of the news, helping people with concepts and ideas they don't understand, and telling people what they need to do in response, given their various situations. So yes, a Christian sermon would have elements of teaching, elements of preaching, but at the heart of it, at its core, it is simply just saying what God has said. If we are going to see the kind of revival we are praying for, the kind of thing we are trusting God for and seeing God wants you to accomplish, he wants you to see, want to see a gospel center movement. It has to be from churches where the word of God is front and center. But then Paul says, This is what I want to see. This is this is this is what I want to go there and do. But then he realizes that there's a very present opposition. So we see in verse 20, he says for which, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul is not talking about jewelry. He's not saying this this, this, this necklace or something, I'm I'm an ambassador in necklace or in this nice jewelry. He's saying he's in actual physical chains. We know this because in Acts chapter 28, the Bible tells us that Paul was locked in for two years, and so he was Probably then that he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, and all these other prison epistles. But we also know that there's a very present opposition because in verses 11 to 20, um, to 12, he talks about putting on the armor of God so that he can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this, present, of, of this dark world, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. So we have Paul writing, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. He says, we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. And I think this should, this should, this should, really, this should really impact us because Paul was instructed by Christ. I don't know if there's anybody here who your conversion experience was, Jesus Christ himself actually evangelizing to you. But this guy was evangelized by Christ, won by Christ, discipled by Christ. You would have thought, well, he doesn't have any problem in the world. But Satan still presents a stumbling block to Paul. And I think that as a result of, I mean, Um, as a result of the kind of society we live in, where people emphasize, ah, Satan, 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 family battles, and all those kinds of things, some of us have now gone the opposite direction. So C.S. Lewis, in his preface, his beautiful work, The Screwtape Letters, where he's writing about two devils, Screwtape, the senior devil, who is instructing Wormwood, the junior devil, on how to attack a patient who is a Christian, he says in his preface, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Both extremes are wrong. So when we see in our society people who are organizing um, seven-day Um, Videos who are are just fighting the devil and all of those kind of things. Some of us have now gone the direct opposite direction and and said, The devil, nah, it's just in your mind, you have to. But Paul says there's a very present opposition. And one of the ways the devil operates is by the kind of thing we have in our society, where there's preaching coming out, quote unquote, preaching coming out from our pulpits that is not anchored on the scriptures, that is not from the gospel. And I think if we, if we really, it just dropped on me when I was doing this, like, wow, that is the devil actually at work. It is not, it is not just that there is not enough theology. It is not just that there is not enough education or all of those things. This is actually the devil stopping the work of God. And so we have to really rediscover that again and say, wow, the devil is trying to stop the work of God, but we are going to move against the devil. And that's why I'm grateful that Paul doesn't, and the New Testament, the Bible generally, doesn't make, it tells us enough to know about the devil, but he doesn't make the devil this thing that we have to consciously always be like, oh, the devil, this devil is so powerful, I know that devil is powerful, but he's not omnipotent. And we have to recapture that as children of God. Satan is alive and is actively, fiercely opposing the work of God. And so Paul tells us to pray for him. And so he shows us again, lastly, a very potent power. We see that in verses 18 to 20. He says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions is this message not at risk? It only makes sense that you're asking to be bold because there's something that would necessarily make you afraid. And so we know that this message cannot be destroyed, number one, because Paul is actually asking us to pray for him. He's not saying, ah, pray for me. He's saying, pray for me because I know that God is powerful and strong enough to oppose the work of the devil. So praise God that the advance of the gospel is not dependent upon people like us. It's not dependent upon weak creatures that can be defeated by Satan. The advance of the gospel is dependent upon an almighty God who is strong enough to preserve this gospel and make sure that every person who needs to hear it, when they need to hear it, how they need to hear it, will get it whenever they need to hear it. But then we see also the second clue is that Paul says in verse 18... Pray in the Spirit. In an environment such as ours, the first thing that comes to mind when you hear pray in the Spirit is speaking in tongues. Um, I don't think, I'm not saying that is wrong. I, I, don't, think, I don't think it is wrong. The Bible commends that to us. Um, but one is that we don't see that in the text. So Paul is not saying pray in tongues here, necessarily in the text but also just the fact that some of you who pray in tongues know that there are times when you are spoken in tongues and you are not praying in the Spirit. There is nothing spiritual about the speaking in tongues. You know, Just, as, just like if you are praying in the language, there's nothing necessarily spiritual or spirit-filled about the speaking in tongues. So I think Paul is getting to something deeper here. Francis showed us a little bit of it last week. When... In Ephesians 3.16, he, he says, Pray that you might be strengthened in your inner man by the Spirit. So being praying in the Spirit is, is asking for strength in your inner man. Um, we see it also in the life of Jesus where, where Luke says, after the temptation of Jesus Christ, Luke says, Jesus came out in the power of the Spirit. So I think praying in the Spirit is praying in such a way that you are resting upon the power of the Holy Spirit. You are depending upon the Holy Spirit. You are praying in dependence on the Holy Spirit. You are praying out of dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us that the Spirit comes to us as believers because of the work of Christ in dying for us on the cross. In Ephesians chapter 1, where Dami read to us in, I think, verse 13 uh, and 14, he says, the Holy Spirit is a marker of what has been accomplished for us in the past through Christ. But the Holy Spirit is also a guarantee of the inheritance that is going to come to us in Christ in the future. But there's also a practical present implication of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us presently. It is that we can trust God to work in powerful ways when we need Him, when we call upon Him, when we rely upon Him. That is what it means to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit or pray in the Holy Spirit, praying out of dependence upon God. And so, Paul believes very much that the advance of the gospel is dependent upon a proclamation of the gospel with clarity, with boldness, with power. It is dependent upon the realization of the very present opposition that we are facing. We're not, we not just fighting with kid gloves, but it is dependent very much upon the power of God to fulfill his work and to bring down every opposition and every stronghold of Satan. And he commends to us to boldly ask, to boldly request, because we have a God who we fully bring to pass all that he has said. And so again, like, hmm, thank you. How does that, how does that affect me here and now? How, what does that mean for me here and now? One, I think, one of the ways we can begin to Trust God to bring this to pass in our lives and to um, accomplish this, accomplish the vision of our church, accomplish a vision for a gospel-centered renewal, is to take time out and just pray for our leaders um, or whoever is going to preach, particularly before Sunday or in the morning when you wake up. Just pray for that person. Pray that that person is not going to come here and just make us laugh. We, we, don't need, we don't need comedians in the pulpit. We don't need people who are just going to make us happy as we go home. We don't need people who just inoculate us a bit from all the things that we are, we are, we are battling and we are facing. We don't need people, people who are going to say, oh, it's only your mind, just think better, feel better, and all of those kind of things. We need people who will bring us the word of God that will actually cause the change that we need, that we seek, when we need it, where we need it. And so let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for, take time out, just five minutes, ten minutes, pray for, pray for the people who preach to us every Sunday, people who are, who are wrestling wrestling against the devil, wrestling against the opposition of the devil. And let's just trust God to speak through them, to, to bring God's words to us. Another thing we can do is also pray for the people we disagree with. So, like I said, my first thinking is this are not serious. How does my blood is not melting? Now, mm-hmm. what, what does that even mean? How does that change anybody's life? Right? But we can actually pray and ask God, Father, open these people's eyes. Make them see that your word is actually more glorious than this, that your word is actually beautiful enough. Isaiah says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? We need, we need, we need God to actually open the eyes of people and say, Father, just, just make them see that your word is actually glorious and your word is true, both in the pulpit and also in the pew. But then we can not also miss the immediate context of Paul's, of Paul's appeal because Paul was writing here as a missionary, as a church planter, as someone on the frontiers in a new place. So one of the things we can do is to pray for missionaries. And I'm thankful that if you've been here with us for a while, there's, there's someone named Tim Kempton who we regularly pray for. Um, he's, he's working in Southern Kaduna among a people group. Let's pray for those people. Let's pray that God will give them words to speak. Let's pray that there's all kinds of temptations on, on, on the field that those kind of people face. Like, like, eh, let's try to, let's do good work. Let's, let's bring your hospital. Let's, and those are very good things. But we don't just want to save people from the, the hardship of our economic situations presently. We also want them to be saved from eternal damnation and to also become people who trust in Christ and who become children of God. So let's pray for them. Let's pray for boldness for those brothers and sisters on the field. Let's pray that God will give them words to speak, how they need to speak it. Let's also pray for unreached people groups. I was reading a missionary stats about two years ago in Nigeria here, the Kanuri people. So there's, there's the Hausa, Hausa people group. But in the Hausa, in the broad Hausa people group, there are the Kanuri people. The Kanuri people are basically in areas like Sokoto and further north. And they say in, in, in the Kanuri people group, there has not been any conversion of anyone there no conversion of the Canary people from the Canary people group. Not that there's no conversion from the Hausa ethnic group, but there has not been any conversion of the Canary people group. And if we believe the word of God, if we believe what Paul says, that how shall they hear unless there's preaching, then we need to pray for those people and ask God, Father, send someone to them. Let, Let them hear the gospel. Let them hear this truth of the gospel that changes their lives. So let's pray. Let's pray for rich peoples. Let's pray for peoples, lots of people groups who haven't heard the gospel, who haven't, who haven't even come to a saving knowledge of Christ, much less growing in the gospel. But then let's also, Paul here is writing to the church, he's writing to the Ephesians. Let's gather together as a people. Let's, let's pray together. Let's pray and ask God for boldness, for clarity, for unction in preaching so that the glory of God is displayed as it actually is, and so that people can see God for who he actually is. It's a short one, but I think, I believe that God has given us something to think about and to pray about, and I'll invite us to just bow down our heads as we thoughtfully reflect on this truth. preaching as declaring the gospel out of the scriptures. We don't need people who would just come and give us their own opinions and and tell us how to feel good. We need the very words of God given to us to change our lives to change our situations, to change our societies. We have a very present opponent who is seeking to destroy all that God wants to do. But praise God, we have a mighty power at work in us. The The person of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us through Christ's death on the cross And we can come boldly to the throne of grace to ask God for all that we need and to see him work powerfully in our situations, in our society, in our church. Lord, we thank you for the word that brings life and that brings hope. We thank you, Lord, for your word that cannot be sabotaged. We thank you, O God, for your word that comes with boldness, with clarity, with the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, O God, that you help us to trust your word, not to trust our own gimmicks and our own methods, but to trust your word to do what it has been said it will do help us, Lord, to pray with all boldness, relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit, relying upon you for great and mighty things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people, love Lagos.